welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. Well, good morning, everyone. I am really glad to be here. My name is Jenna. If we haven't met, I'm the executive pastor here at Awaken. And mostly, I'm really happy to say, I think spring has sprung. And that feels like we waited a long time for that to happen. So it is palpable and feels really good. (laughs) Maybe that's just for me this morning. Uh, No, okay, collective no, great, love that. Um, I did want to begin this morning in a way that's maybe a little bit unplanned, a lot of bit unplanned. Um, If you were like me yesterday, you took a little break from the news and headlines yesterday and enjoyed the sunshine. Um, and maybe woke up to the news of another mass shooting that happened in Buffalo. Um, This one seemingly racially motivated. So it's the tension that we hold when we gather on a Sunday morning, and how do we hold the grief of the world together, even if it's not our local? Um, So this morning, I just wanted to say that out loud. Um, Maybe take a little bit of silence for the people who whose lives have been disrupted. Um, So let's do that. And knowing that we're all transitioning in, it's okay if there's the shuffle, um, and yet it's the sentiment of that silence. So for those whose lives are disrupted this morning. God, we come holding the tension of what it is to be alive. While we declare that you are good and doing good and powerful things in the world, we also hold the tension that it's hard to be in this world sometimes too. So for those who are mourning and grieving in ways that they didn't expect, I pray for your comfort, presence, nearness, And for those who are having to hold the pieces of a collective grief, pray for your endurance, your care for them. And for the ways that this is a cycle that we keep having to name, I ask that your spirit along with people in the world would work to break it. In your name we pray. Amen. Would you stand for our call to worship this morning. This is by Walter Brueggemann in a book entitled Odd to Heaven, Rooted in Earth. It's called Our True Home. Receive these words. God before and God behind. God for us and God for your own self. Maker of heaven and earth. Creator of sea and sky. Governor of day and night, we give thanks for your ordered gift of life to us, for the rhythms that reassure, for the equilibriums that sustain, for the reliabilities that curb our anxieties. We treasure from you days to work and nights to rest. We cherish from you days to control and nights to yield. We savor from you days to plan and nights to dream. Be our day and our night, our heaven and our earth, our sea and our sky. 
and in the end, our true home. Amen. All right, friends, if you want to find your seats, that'd be great. Fantastic. Um, I'm just going to intro this little video, uh, and, and then our friend Carly is going to share a bit more about Wildflyer. So uh, we've, we've, back when we used to have coffee before the pandemic, we were serving Wildflyer coffee. Many of you get Wildflyer coffee at your homes, so watch this, and then Carly will share just a bit more. Is this not? Oh, yep, yeah, there good. we go. Okay. Hi, uh, my name is Carly, and I am one of the co-founders and current executive director of Wildflyer Coffee. And as Micah said, you guys have partnered with us actually since the beginning. You are our first church partners, so thank you for that. We are a nonprofit social enterprise coffee company, and we employ youth experiencing homelessness. So in Minnesota, there's about 13,000 youth every night that are on the streets, couch hopping, spending the night in shelter, or places not meant for habitation. And one of the greatest barriers they face to leaving homelessness is stable employment, and that comes because a lack of kind of internal skills as well as the barriers just inherent with um, not having housing stability. So we offer a four-month work and life skills training program. So we have a coffee shop in South Minneapolis where we work with young people 16 to 24, and we do about 20 hours of paid employment on the floor where they're learning really basic soft skills, communication, teamwork, um, punctuality, which is really hard, I guess. It's been a rough week on that one. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, it's a bad day when they're like, I'm only an hour late, this is great. Um, but that's what we exist for. So we work on those skills and then we have some programming that goes along with it that focuses on personal and professional development. We do financial literacy, digital literacy, mental health support to really help get them to a place where they can leave our program and maintain employment and through that stable housing. Um, so I'm here today to talk a little bit about two ways you guys can get involved as our um, church partners. And the first is that we have a Twin Cities Marathon team running on behalf of Wildfire Coffee, um, <laughs> which is great for people who like to run. And you can do <laughs> um, the obviously full marathon, which is 26.2, I think, and then the 10 mile as well, which feels a lot more approachable to me. So we have about 15 or 16 people signed up, and we are hoping to raise $10,000 through that event, which will help us employ about 15 more young people this year. So if you would like to join, I know people in the church have done this in the past for World Vision. It's kind of the same setup. You'll run, fundraise on our behalf. We'll get you all the fundraising tools you need. You won't be at it alone. We would love to have you. And if you want to join that, I have left my cards at the back little table here. And you can reach out, and I'll send you the registration code for that. If you do not want to run, which I don't, so I don't shame you for that, um, we are asking people to just buy coffee from us. This is one of the greatest ways you can help, and the easiest. So we have an online store. I know people here, this is St. Paul. Our shop is in South Minneapolis. If you're in South Minneapolis, visit us. But if not, we have subscriptions and just bags of coffee available on our online store. And that's really just one of the greatest ways to support us. It does provide employment for our youth as well as just sustainability, um, just revenue for our program. And I think our coffee is pretty good. We get good reviews. Thank you. <laughs> um, so it's not really like a sacrifice. And if you're already drinking coffee, if you would consider switching out to support Wildflyer, we would greatly appreciate um, the ways that that would support youth in your community.
So all of that information, like I said, there's links to our store and, and for the, the marathon at the, the back info table. And we would love to have you. So thank you very much. Uh, <clears throat> Carly made mention of first hour. We've we've been with Wildflower, which was formerly known the artist formerly known as Gutter Punk Coffee. Like before name change, we were on the we were on the program uh, supporting the work there, and um, it's totally worth it. Like twice a month, two bags of coffee show up at the Witham House, and we drink Wildflower, which is not like some people think. Like oh, buy our coffee, support our thing, and then it's terrible. You know what I mean? It's not even good. But that is not the case here. This is really good coffee. Uh, uh, trained by like the best of the best in the Twin Cities. So um, if you're interested in that, it's a really easy. You have power as, as consumers and as people with resources. So make your money work for you and be intentional about it. That's one way you could do that. Um, hi, everybody. I'm Micah. Glad you're here. Um, if you're new to Awaken, I'm one of the pastors and really, really glad that you're with us. Uh, we'd love to know that you're here. So if you are new, uh, there are cards in the seat pockets in front of you or online. You can press a little I'm new button. Fill out one of those cards, let us know you're here. We'll reach out, invite you to a beverage of your choice, and get to know each other. Uh, and then if you have tithes and offerings or those cards this morning, they can go in the black boxes. We're super grateful for those. A couple things we want to let you know about. Summer is uh, it's coming, and um, we're not going to skip spring, though. Darn it. Four seasons here. So, But summer is coming, uh, and we want to let you know. Last summer, we were in the park all summer because we were forced to be, and we loved it, but not enough to do it all summer again. So the first Sunday of every month, June, July, August, September, we will be in the park worshiping together, super fun, one gathering, the whole church all together as one, uh, June, July, August, September. Uh, we were, will be back at Highland Park Pavilion up on the hill there, except for August the 7th where we will be on Raspberry Island, which is the island in the Mississippi River, downtown St. Paul. And there are opportunities for baptism, if you're interested. Lord willing, the river will be, you know, what's the word I'm looking for? Will go down significantly between now and then. No one will be swept away to New Orleans or anywhere else. And uh, that's never happened, of course. You know, we would never do that, friends. Uh, we'll figure out another way to baptize you on the 7th if you're interested. But hoping we can do it in the river, which will be fun. Um, and if you have questions about, you know, safety of water and whatever, it's, it's fine. I've done the studies. I fish there. You can eat the fish out of the Mississippi River. You can. It's it, 25, 30 years ago, no way, Jose. But now, you can. Is that in my notes? No, it's not. Uh, so, those are happening. Um, also, there is an opportunity for awakened folks to connect with a partner of ours, Ainda Young, which is a... Uh, uh, a nonprofit that serves indigenous folks in the Twin Cities here. Uh, there is an event on June the 4th, uh, 2 p.m. and 6 p.m., um, kind of a, a traditional indigenous uh, native powwow. And so if you'd like to volunteer for that, some folks are volunteering for it. Uh, but if you want to just show up and be supportive, that's happening. We want to be behind the folks that, uh, that we're uh, in relationship with. So there's that. And then last but not least, last but not least, Communion. If you're interested in serving communion, that is a job anyone can do, and it's super fun to like offer Eucharist to folks. So Jenna leads that uh, and is looking for folks to help serve communion on the fourth Sundays of the month. This is something kids can do also. Um, so if you've got youngsters, that would be a great way to get them involved in something that's really, really lovely, yeah, and beautiful. So connect with Jenna on that. Um, that is all I have uh, for announcements, so if you have your Bibles, find them. We are in the book of Philippians, week three of a series in this book. Paul, uh, the apostle, the writer, has written a, a letter to a small church in the city of Philippi, a little church plant that he started, 
and um, he's writing from prison. He's been imprisoned by uh, the empire, by Rome, for preaching a gospel that is not the gospel according to Rome, which is, of course, Caesar is Lord, and Caesar will provide peace and uh, uh, by way of the empire and by the power of the empire in exchange for your allegiance and your worship. And Paul's preaching something else, and so they've put him in prison. And uh, he's a threat to the empire. So he's there, and he hopes to come and visit them, uh, but he doesn't know if he's going to make it out alive, right? So he writes to them. He thanks them for their partnership in the gospel. He thanks them for the work that they're doing, he, um, for, su- for supporting and sending Epaphroditus, who is in the ancient world you would have sent sometimes, uh, someone with resources to a friend in prison to help them and kind of help them get along and make it. So they sent Epaphroditus, who almost died, but thankfully he didn't. Uh, he's writing to, to remind them of the power of the resurrection and the gospel that they are in service of and also to enlist them further in this work. So um, it's a job that, you know, that's, I'd like to do that today. You know, remind you of the power of the gospel and also to enlist you further in the work of it, yeah? So that's why, I don't know if, why you're here, but that's why I, that's what I'm doing today. So just to let you know my intentions, okay. Um, and so this passage we're going to read is Paul's like, okay, whatever happens between now and then, whether I die or whether I get to come and visit you, you got to know this, right? That's what we're about to hear. So Larissa is going to read our text. If you're able, I'd invite you to stand. Paul uh, continues in verse 27 of chapter 1, and we'll start there. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him, since you were going through the same struggle you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, look in humility. Value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. Pray with me. God, this morning as we uh, attend to this little story that happened 2,000-some years ago, I hope and pray that you would do what you've promised to do. I trust that you will, that this word, uh, which is can be a revelation of your presence and who you are would be that for us today, that you would remind us of who you've called uh, these people that, uh, that follow this Jesus to be in the world. So uh, inspire us, in, um, invest us with your spirit's power and remind us of who we are in you. I pray in the name of Christ and by the power of the spirit. And the church said together, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Um, Real briefly, uh, we read usually from the NIV, which is just uh, easy in a lot of ways, and it's pretty normal English, uh, but sometimes translations don't always get it, and I don't know if you caught that part about, like, uh, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you, this is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, and, but you will be saved. Doesn't that sound terrible? Anybody, like, hiccup at that? 
I'll just let you know that's a really bad translation of what Paul's getting at. Um, it's less about that these people will be destroyed and we will be saved and more about like a system, a way of thinking and being in the world will be destroyed and something else will be preserved. That's not in the notes, but I just hated that fact and I wanted to point that out to you. Um, I, I've been watching Peaky Blinders. Any Peaky Blinders fans out there in the room? Thank you. I appreciate the honesty. I know you're in church and maybe you're not supposed to watch Peaky Blinders, but man, it's such a great show. And the accents, you know, it's just so great. You got the Irish and it's about a, a gang from Birmingham, Tommy Shelby. And um, you know how like in gang stories, you know, West Side Story or in this case, Peaky Blinders, you, you, there are like lines that you sort of, you got territories and people occupy certain spaces, like you just don't go past this street or in that neighborhood or whatever. And if by chance you do go across the line and get found out to be there, you know, the, the gang will always often say something like, we got to send a message, you know, to the Jets or the Sharks or whoever. Or in this case, the Peaky Blinders, they got to send a message. And so they send a message by order of the Peaky Blinders. And if I were to, like, if I were to, to name this sermon, I would say, like, we're going to send a message here by order of the Peaky Blinders. Uh, Paul is, is, is essentially inviting um, these, this little church in Philippi to send a message to the world, to send a message to the people around them in, by doing particular things. So let's unpack that a little bit, right? He's like, he says, I may never see you again. I, 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 I might die here. But I might come to visit you. But if, if I don't, like, here's what I want to say to you. And then he goes on and he says what we just read. Now, before we do that, I, I think it's important to pause and be reminded of the fact that everything Paul is doing, everything he's saying, all the things he's telling the churches, Corinth and Ephesus and Philippi and, Gal and Galatia, it's all like rooted in something. There's a foundation that's been laid. It's predicated on something else, right? He has an assumption, and that assumption is good to know. Like, what is it? And what is all of this that he's doing? What is it predicated on? And that thing, that, that assumption, that foundation is what is called the gospel. The, the good news in Greek, the euangelion. And um, the gospel is a weird thing. What even is the gospel, right? Uh, I don't know about you, but like there's, uh, well, let me just... So you're at work and somebody finds, oh, Christians, you know, evangelicals, we love to talk about the gospel. The gospel this, the gospel that, the good news. Somebody comes up to you at, church, uh, at work and, you know, you're back in the office and uh, they say, oh yeah, I heard you go to church. I heard you're like a Christian or whatever. And there's this word that I keep hearing, the gospel. Like, what does that mean? What would you say? Rhetorical question. Not an all play. Like, if you, if you were asked, like, what is the gospel? Um, what, what would you even say to that? How, how would you define it? How would you describe it? As we were talking about this series in Philippians, one of the things that came up was, I think it's going to be important that we talk about the gospel and, de and define it. Like, what do I mean when I say that? Because I'm going to say it a bunch today, and I'll say it again later in this series, and I'll keep saying it. What is the gospel? Because there's all kinds of gospels out there. You know this, right? There's all kinds of things that Christians say, like, this is the gospel. And sometimes it's about, like, a spiritual, disembodied spiritual reality after you die or, like, you're floating around on clouds. It's the gospel. we got to spread it. we got to let people know. It's the good news. Or sometimes it's, like, uh, its only concern is your afterlife, heaven or hell, and where will you go? Like, no concern about this life. This is the gospel. It's the good news. we got to make sure everybody gets to one place and not the other. That's the gospel. 
Sometimes the gospel has been used to propagate like evil ideas, you know, the doctrine of discovery and manifest destiny. That's the gospel. It's the good news. We got to tell the people, you know, the people that that don't know. Uh, sometimes it's it's used to like spread and enforce imperialism and colonialism and some terrible things, the power of empire. But it's cloaked in this idea of the gospel. We got to spread it into the world, like we've got something that they don't have. So what do we mean when we say the gospel? I want to say it's none of those things. What do I mean when I say the gospel? It's none of those things. What does Paul mean when he says the gospel? I don't think it's any of those things. So what does he mean when he says it? And if you want to know what Paul thinks about the gospel, there's a very, very clear definition or conversation he's having in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, where he spends a whole chapter talking about the resurrection. And this is what he says. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you've taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you will have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you. Here it is. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried and that he was raised on the third day. That's it. That's the gospel. He appeared to Cephas and the twelve and then others. Five hundred. Some uh, who are still living and some who have fallen asleep. They've, They've gone to be with the Lord. The gospel according to Paul is in line with his Jewish heritage, right? According to the scriptures, the scriptures which affirm the, the, the divine image in all of humanity and all of creation. Uh, a, a tradition which posits that God was interested in making themselves known to creation. That, that this God actually became incarnate in the person of Jesus Christ and was God enfleshed, like made known to us. That, that Jesus then died for the salvation of the world, for the redemption of the world, for the rescue of the world, all the world, and then was resurrected from the dead three days later. That is the gospel. That is the good news, according to Paul, about Jesus. That God is interested in the redemption of, the restoration of, the renewal of all things in Christ. It's not about certain people having something that other people don't have. It's not about power and things like this. It's about this. It's about equality. It's about the poor being lifted up. It's about, right? This is what the gospel means to Paul. So, what does the gospel mean to you? When you say or hear about or think about what is the gospel, maybe just a question to ponder as you go from church this morning. What is it? And what do I mean by it? Or what do I think it means? So Paul says this is what the gospel is, and this is the assumption, right? This is the groundwork, the foundation for everything he's doing. It's Christ, Christ crucified and resurrected from the dead three days later. In the interest of restoring, redeeming, and recreating all the things God made and called good. It's good news, he thinks. So, in light of that, how do we send a message? How do the Philippians send a message? Two things. Your conduct and unity send a message to the world. So he starts with your conduct in public matters, right? In the first part there, verse 27. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Whether I come back, whether I visit you, whether I see you, whether I die in this cell, your conduct, your life, live it in such a way that it's worthy of, it's, it's congruent with, it upholds 
the story, the person, the life, the teachings, what we know about Jesus the Christ. Why? Because Jesus isn't with us anymore. He's ascended from whence he came. So his presence in the world is known by you and your life. Your life becomes a defense for the gospel. Do you guys remember apologetics training? You remember that? I, got, I remember like high school. We'd go to these classes where you got to learn how to defend the gospel. You got to learn to answer the tough questions. Here's the three most common questions you're going to get from the pagans out there. You got to learn how to rebut those, right? You got to defend the gospel, defend the good news. What if you lived a life so compelling and so congruent with the sacrificial love of Jesus that your life was, a, was like a defense of the gospel. Paul says your conduct matters in the world. Because when you speak, if you f- call yourself a follower of Jesus, this is part of the problem out there, amen? Like so many people who say, yeah, I'm a Christian, and then act in ways that are so incongruent with Jesus, the world's just like, head, like scratching their heads, thinking, how is this possible that this group of people who are supposed to like follow this guy who was like, welcome everybody, are so de- like drawing all these lines and saying you but not you. How is that possible? Because we, we speak on behalf of this Jesus that we say we follow. So Paul says, if you follow Jesus, you're part of this thing called the church, you've said yes to this, your conduct in the world, it matters, in public. Which a couple things are implicated there, right? Um, If you've said yes to this way of being human in the world, you've said yes to following this Jesus, your life is no longer your own. It's like when you get married or you have a child or like you you couple yourself to another entity, another being, and in, in a lot of ways, your life is no longer your own. You share it with someone and they share it with you. In, in this case, Paul's saying, you have bound yourself to the person of Jesus and the way of Jesus. So your life is not your own. He even calls himself a slave to Christ, like bonded to Jesus. And we talked about this last week. This is the paradox. As a singular human being, there's this temptation to believe that like, I am, I am an island unto my own. I am autonomous. And what is the most important is like my freedom, my rights, my uh, satisfaction, my fulfillment, right? The fulfillment, fulfillment of my desires. And that's like not totally false, but it's really difficult. It's actually, it's headed in the wrong direction because we're made for each other. We're most free when we're in relationship. Bonhoeffer talks about this. I'm free for the other. And when I'm in relationship, when, I've, when I'm bound to you as my neighbor, or in this case, the gospel and Jesus, I'm actually free in the way that I was meant to be free. So, he says, your conduct matters in public. And it implicates the fact that if you follow Jesus, then you're bound, you, you've tied yourself to something other than your own desires, your own uh, fulfillment. And, and, and sometimes, that has implications. Uh, so, when you speak, when you live, when you love or not... It's not just you that's implicated, right? Like some, we've had, you know, conversations with our, with our, our family members. They're like, you're with them. So like when you show up at your school or your practice or whatever, like you bear our name. You, you're part of this family. And, and in the same way, Paul's like, when you, so my friends, as you show up to your work, right? Uh, how you show up matters. And, and the way that you do your vocation Gosh, I can't can't stress it enough to you. This also implicates Paul assumes that they're living their lives in public. That they have not created some little, you know, Christian ghetto 
where we got nice walls that protect us and we, send, we go to Christian grocery stores and send our kids to Christian schools and only watch Christian things and Christian music and Christian that. Now, I'm not saying sending your kids to Christian schools is a bad thing, but Paul assumes that they live their lives in public, that they live their lives in the world because the world is not bad. The world is not our enemy. The world is not something you need to cower and be afraid of. Paul says, no, actually, live your life in the midst of it, out there doing it. Like, the, 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 the energy of the gospel, it's centrifugal. It's not centripetal. Do you know what I mean by that? All you need to do is go to a playground, watch the kids. you remember the merry-go-round? You guys remember that thing, the big red one? You know, it spins around like that, and all kids get on it, and then some knucklehead just starts spinning it super fast. And before you know it, kids' feet are, like, flying out, and then somebody's not paying attention, and they just get T-boned, you know, clotheslined by Tommy's legs or Tina, but what happens next is you can't, you can't hold on because the centrifugal force is so strong, it flings you into the playground. That's the, go- that's the energy of the gospel. It like, it, it's like flinging people of love out into the world. You know, it's just like out there, go. It's not centripetal. Centripetal force is like the thing, you know, when, a, uh, when water goes down the drain, it just like brings it all in like that, where all the Christians are gathered together in a corner. That's the opposite. It's antithetical to the, to the energy of the gospel. Paul's like, don't do that. Live your life in public, and your conduct matters. So I was just having a conversation yesterday with a, somebody who sits right over here first hour. They, they work in an ad agency. And ad agencies, I guess, I mean, maybe Mad Men was it's correct, but cutthroat, like super cutthroat, you know, it's like... Uh, fish or cut bait, you know, you're on your own. You got to get yours while you can. So you just, it doesn't matter how it affects you because it helps me. So bye. That, I guess that's pretty normal in an ad agency world. And this person who's a follower of Jesus is in a room where it's happening, right? Executive level leader and is saying every now and again, like, hey, um, maybe it's not a zero sum game. Maybe we could do business in a way that actually is good for our people and the people we serve. That's revolutionary. Actually, it's not. But it's a person of Jesus showing up in their world, in their vocation, conducting themselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. How do you do that as a teacher? How do you do that as a lawyer? How do you do that as a performer, as an artist, as a student? Because every day you show up in the world and have an opportunity to reflect, to, like, to, to, to give people a picture of like what this good news is and who this Jesus is. I bartend every one, uh, Sunday night at this place called Emerald. And it's great for me because I live my life in a bubble. Like, friends, I, I, I forget that how crazy it is out there because I'm with you all the time. And, I, you know, I live in a Christian world most of the time. So it's good for me. Uh, I just started buying pizza on Sunday nights. Like, once a month, I buy pizza. And it's super expensive. It's not cheap to have those people bring pizza down. And I buy pizza for the whole back, the, they call it the back of the house. You know, you get the front of the house. All the people in the back of the house that you never see, I just buy them pizza once a month. The first couple times, people were, like, scratching their heads. They were looking at me like I got three brain, three heads. This is like, what are you doing? Like, I'm just buying pizza. Literally, somebody said to me, Why? You're my people. And it's just like revolutionary that someone would do this. When I walk into that space, they all know who I am. My coworkers, they know that this is what I do on Sunday morning. And so my conduct, it represents the gospel. It represents to them what Jesus is like. 
A couple nights ago, there was a, a family sitting in the corner, I'm assuming mom, dad, and an like, 11-year-old, and you know they get a cocktail. They're having tons of fun, and she's stuck with water. And I was like, well, that's lame. Not fun at all. So I wander over to the table, and I said, hey, uh, would you be okay if I made a, a mocktail for the young lady? And they're just kind of like, sure. Like, like I had three heads. So I go out and make a, cock, a mocktail, not a cocktail, make a mocktail, you know, whip something up, I bring it over, and she's just as pleased as punch. Smile, like, ear to ear. And the parents are just kind of like, what the hell is going on here? You know, and they're, of course, thinking it's going to show up on their bill. No, that goes on Micah's bill. And number two, I could have just, like, pretended like it didn't happen, and, but Vinny, my manager, you know, my boss, he's watching me. So I write it in, I put it in there, Micah's tab, I paid for her little mocktail. Why? Because they're watching. Because my life is a representation, is a reflection of. I'm connected to something that's not just me. So you just pay for the mocktail. Why? Because love always wins. It just never fails. It always wins. Friends, your, your life, your public life, your boring public life, that you wake up to every day, that you think, is this it? Is this all there is? Is this what I'm called? Is this my life? Yes, it is. Just come to grips with that. It's going to help. <laughs> it's going to be really helpful for you because wherever you are, that's where you'll be. Okay? You can't outrun yourself. You're always there. It is your life. Conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel. That's a reflection of the love of Christ. The sacrificial, love your enemy kind of love. The kind of love that's revolutionary, that could change the world. Do you believe in that kind of love? You can live that. You can show it. So conduct yourselves. And Paul keeps going. He says, here's how you send a message by order of the Peaky Blinders. You, you conduct yourself in public in a way that's worthy of the gospel. And then your unity in spirit and mind matters. He says in verse 27, if I come to see you where I don't, I will know that you stand firm with one spirit and one mind, striving together as one for the sake of the gospel. The, the words he uses, one pneuma, uh, it's breath, spirit, wind, it's where we get pneumatic and pneumatoid arthritis. And pneumonia, I suppose, too. But pneuma, spirit, breath, wind, and then psyche, mind, one spirit, one mind, and striving, the word he uses there is like everyone pulling together in the same direction. Can you imagine how much weight we could move if we all had a line tethered to some massive thing and we all pulled in the same direction? We could move heaven and earth. That's what he's talking about. In our divided world, like what could a group of people agree about and be of one spirit and one mind? <laughs> That's a fool's errand, right? Like you watch the news and you're like, no way, Jose. It's never going to happen. One spirit and one mind. Where a group of people are literally of one spirit, one heartbeat, one uh, uh, impulse. And even in the church. I was talking to somebody before first hour. You know, There's a lot going on in our world. A lot happening with the Supreme Court and a really contentious topic of Roe v. Wade and what will happen. Can we get the church to agree about that? Probably not. And that's okay, actually. I'm okay with that. Can we get the church to agree about gun rights? 
Probably not. I'm, okay, I'm actually okay about that. Like, those are complicated and nuanced conversations, and people haven't, you know, their opinions, and that's, that's fine. But one of the reasons why I've loved this tradition that we're a part of in the covenant is, like, for 125 years, atonement theories and, like, divorce and remarriage and when Jesus is coming back and the Eucharist and, you know, uh, uh, a, a Christian response to violence or war, there's been all kinds of things that good Christian folk have disagreed about, but they've figured out a way to gather around a well. They've gathered around, like, one thing, the, the like, Christ. Jesus, the life and teachings, the death and resurrection of Jesus. Somehow, they've been this wonderful story in the world of like unity, of one spirit and one mind. Even with all these differences that exist within us. That there's one thing that we agree on, and that is Christ and Christ crucified. So to the church gathered this morning, I'll just repeat it. Paul says, if you want to send a message to the world, your conduct, live in such a way that your life is worthy of the gospel, and then be of one mind and one heart and one spirit. How in God's green earth are we going to do that as the church? I have a, I have a, I have a proposal. Not a solution, but a proposal. Christ and Christ crucified. That's it. That's the only thing that we gather around. That is the, the well in the center. It's the anchor. It's the lightning rod. It's the, the heartbeat. And beyond that, we'll work together to have good, kind dignified conversations when we disagree about things. But if I can say anything, if I, my life, my pastoring, my leadership could lead us towards something, it would be that. And when that happens, Paul says, when you conduct yourself in this way and you're, you're unified, you're one voice, it sends a message to those who oppose the gospel. What is he saying by that? He's like, I want you to send a message. That was the weird part about people being destroyed and people being saved. He's saying, listen, there are two stories in the world. There's a story in the world that's been going on forever and ever that says it's you at cost to your neighbor. Like, save yourself, build it up, grasp it, get it, right? It's the Witham golden rule as I was a kid. Get, do unto others quick before they do it to you. Right? You got to, it's a zero-sum game. Like, that's the story. And so empires are built on it. You know, it's power over, not power under. But there's another story, a competing narrative that says, actually, something new has emerged, uh, like a different kind of seed has sprouted from the ground, and it's growing all around. But if you don't have eyes to see it, it's as if this is just the way it works, and this is just how it happens. But Paul's like, no, actually, there is a new story emerging. Imagine if you were in a classroom, you were a teacher. There's 30 kids, uh, 25, let's do a good teacher-to-student ratio, 25 kids in the classroom. This one teacher, you start, they, they start the class, or the year, and they're kind of a, you know, lackadaisical teacher. They start to let all sorts of things go. It's actually not a very safe environment for the kids to learn. Um, you know, they get away with all kinds of things. And, you know, the kids, 20, most of the kids in the class are like, this is great. And then they get a new teacher. Halfway through the school year, a new teacher comes to town. And this teacher is actually like, there is a new world that's about to emerge, kids, and you better listen up and, and, and pay attention because here it comes. And five kids are like, oh, man, there's a new sheriff in town. There's a new teacher in town. There is a new classroom that's about to emerge right in front of us. But the other 20 kids, they just keep acting as if it's the old rules. They just keep acting as if these old ways of being, this is how we roll, this is how we do it. But this five, this group of five kind of senses like, oh man, they're, th Paul is essentially saying to these Christians, listen friends, there are two stories and there is a new thing that has emerged in Jesus and in the resurrection of Jesus. And as you conduct yourselves worthy of that story and you are unified as one, it sends a message back to this world and this way of being. Like your threats, they don't actually matter anymore. They can't, they can't hurt us. They can't harm us. The worst threat that this offers is death. Guess what? 
Someone's already beaten death. <laughs> it's called resurrection. Do you guys, like, the worst thing that this world can offer, death, like the snuffing out of life. Jesus comes up out of the grave and is like, come on, I've got a solo to play, baby. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, Trevor. <laughs> Sorry. That's, that's on film, too. Oh, God. To the people in the live stream, how you doing? Bet you wish you were here today. Jesus comes up out of the grave and it's like, there is a new thing happening. Oh my gosh. And if you can see it, you can. So Paul says, be of one mind, conduct yourselves. And as you do, you speak a word of critique that says, you don't have anything. This way of being, it doesn't work. It doesn't lead to life. It doesn't lead to joy. You out for yourself at cost to everybody else, it's, a, it's death. It's death to you. It's death to everybody around you. And in the end, you're all alone. That's not what we were made for. So there's another story. There's a new sheriff. There's a new teacher in town. Send a message by order of the, peak, by order of the Christ. Jesus the Christ, who resurrected from the dead. He opens chapter 2 and he says, therefore. Oh, oh, therefore. Well, what is therefore? Therefore. Why has he said this? Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, any comfort in sharing his love, any, any common sharing of the spirit, any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete. How? By being like-minded. By being of one mind and one spirit. Considering others before yourselves. Not looking out for your own interests, but looking out for the interest of others. And then he's about to, about to enter, verse 5, the, the poem in Philippians about the Christ move, the incarnation of God, which we'll get to next week, which I'm very excited about. But for today, I'll close with this. I had a youth pastor professor named RJ, and he, he, would, he would always tell us, like, you're, you're studying youth ministry, you're going to be a youth pastor, uh, you'll get paid terribly. Parents will be the bane of your existence. There will be a couple that you love and remember and thank God for. There are many, you'll be like, oh my gosh, them again. Kids won't appreciate you. You're the lowest on the totem pole, but you're doing super important work. And every once in a while, the curtains will get pulled back and God will give you the gift of seeing the fruit of your labor. That is a payday. When you see the impact that you're, you, you have the honor to have in someone's life. Friends, nothing would give me more joy than to watch you go out into the world and live your lives worthy of the gospel. Laying down your life for even your enemy. Pouring out your, your very life to empower, lift up, enable, uh, make space for, defend, bring justice, liberation. Like Nothing would give me more joy. And Paul knows that this is the way of life. So he says to this little church, make my joy complete by living this life in the world. And I would just offer, I'll just mimic, I'll just steal Paul today and say, make our joy complete. Those of us who serve and, and, and lead this spiritual community, make our joy complete. Not because I want a payday, though it will be one, but because I actually believe that it will be life for you. And that's what I want. Take it or leave it. Um, maybe I'm onto something. Maybe I had too much coffee. Maybe I'm crazy. You get to decide, but I offer it to you today. That like this is, this is a path that is worthy and brings life. 
And when you conduct yourself in a way that's worthy of the gospel and you lay down your life even for your enemy and you as we as the church are of one mind about the resurrected Christ, man, it sends a message to a world that says death wins, that, that says we're not afraid anymore. I'm not afraid of you. Oh, death, where is your victory? Where is your sting? And so we, we walk all the way even unto death, because we know that what God does for Jesus at Easter, God wants to do for all of creation in Christ. Amen? Either that's true or it's not. You have to decide what you're going to live for. So there you go. Maybe that. That's what I'm doing. Pray with me. God, as we take a moment to be still, and to consider uh, who you were, Jesus, who you are, um, what we were made for, and what actually brings life. Holy Spirit, remind us uh, from whence we have come. Say our names. See us as we truly are, image bearers of the divine presence, worthy of your incarnational move to be with us, to live among us, to teach us what it looks like to be human, to die, to say to death and the enemy, you have no power not even death. Resurrect us today, I pray. Holy Spirit, speak to us in this moment, I ask. As we close this morning, we want to invite you to respond um, through song and as well as Eucharist if you are, if you'd like. On my right and left, um, there's two stations. We'll invite you to come down the side aisles. There's red wine, white grape juice I invite you to take a piece of bread and dip it in the cup and know that the body of Christ has been broken for you and the blood of Christ has been shed for you Eucharist good gift for you today so come yep that's true if you uh, find yourself in a scenario where you're not quite sure what to do or what to say go with love Pretty sure it won't fail you. Pretty sure it will always generate. It will always uh, make more. It will never diminish. It will never disintegrate. It will always build. So love. If you're not sure, just go with that. Then you can come ask me, you know, your spiritual advisor, what should I have done? And I will say, yeah, love. You did good. Way to go. So go out into the world, be flung out into the world in the name of love, for the sake of the gospel, live lives worthy of love, the love that you've been shown, the love that you've seen in Christ. One heart, one mind, Christ and Christ crucified. The Lord bless you, keep you. The Lord lift up his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance and give you peace. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. 
one more thing. There's a congregational meeting tonight, 5.30 for dinner. Many of you have registered. Thank you. If you're coming for dinner and haven't, you can still do that so we know. 6.15, have a little chat, a little family talk. Be lovely. See you later. Find us online at www.awakeningcommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash Awakening Community or on Twitter at Awakening Community. See you next time.